think we could retool the entire industry in fashion. The future we want to build is a resilient industry, which means we have to really stop doing business as normal because normal is archaic now. You can't post Black Lives Matter and then not pay your garment workers. It's funny that so much of the conversation in fashion over the last little while has been, this has to stop, this has to change. We could become one of the most revolutionary and real change agents. As much as I put the responsibility on us in the industry, I also put it on consumers to wake up to their power. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF podcast. Last week, our editor-at-large, Tim Blank, sat down with the supermodel, Amber Valletta. Now, Amber has always struck me as one of the most thoughtful people in the fashion industry, and her conversation with Tim last week further underscored that. Her point of view is that the industry simply cannot return to business as usual. With supply chain challenges and a calendar that's racing out of control, Amber's in the camp of shifting fashion to something more suited for the current times. Here's Tim Blanks with Amber Valletta, Inside Fashion. Welcome to BOF. Today we're talking to Amber Valletta. I'm in London, she's in Los Angeles, so obviously it's really early in the morning. Um, or is it early in the morning? <laughs> it's really early. <laughs> it's 8 a.m. What time do you usually get up? Well, normally I get up um, pretty early as soon as the sun's up. So I'm usually awake, but uh, since quarantine, sleeping has been different. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I find myself, I found myself in bed at 10.30, which is ludicrous. You know, I usually go to bed around 3. A.M.? Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I'm the opposite. So normally, as soon as it's dark out, I'm ready to go to bed. And, and as soon as it's light out, I'm ready to get up. But I don't know, about maybe a couple weeks into quarantine, I started binge watching I don't know what and, you know, started staying up till 2 and... 1.30 and 3, and then was sleeping until like 10 o'clock, which is not my rhythm at all. But I've adjusted again. Now I'm kind of in bed uh, earlier, but waking up a lot earlier. Wow. But I'm, I'm usually not having a conversation like this at 8 a.m. <laughs> so well, we'll, for, make it, we'll make it really easy. Um, you look good, Tim, by the way. I like the hair. Well, you do too. Thank you. You, look, uh, you really look fresh. Well, shower helps. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, my hair hasn't been this long since um, I cut it all off when I went to see the Rolling Stones in 1972. <laughs> uh, this is the longest my hair has been since then, which is uh, kind of strange. Um, I love it, actually. Yeah. You like it? Yeah, I know. That makes me look like, I don't know, Einstein or Leslie Nielsen or something. I mean, I can... I can, I can live with it. Like but, you know, um, it's so ironic that, that I, I think about the last time we, had a, we, had, we were in an interview situation and everything that we were talking about then um, has just been completely sideswiped by yeah. everything that's happened in the last six months. Um, and I know that things are tough in California again. So what the hell is going on right now for you? Last time we spoke, you were on the run from the fires, remember? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I don't really, I mean, you know, without getting too political, um, unfortunately, I think Americans are really spoiled and there's a lack of what I do affects someone else. And I think there's a lot of people who really believe that wearing a mask is not um, vitally important and um, staying six feet away from someone isn't vitally important. And they're not thinking of the others. And I think that's a real issue and not as, California, it's maybe less political and a little bit more people, I think they opened a little too fast. They thought they were okay. And, um, you know, people started going to the beach and then they weren't listening that things like not listening at the beach. And I just think people are just being personally just really selfish. And I think it's, um, it's indicative of the president here and his lack of leadership and basing things on science and or lack of basing it on science and walking around with himself without a mask and all his cohorts walking around without a mask to major events. And what does that tell people? I don't need to do this. If this, this guy is not doing it, I don't need to do it either. So, you know, it's a shame because America's really a shit show right now. <laughs> it's what, really what, what do you feel in your community? How, how closed off do you feel from, from everything that's going on, on around you. I mean, we haven't seen anyone since second week of March. That's, that's a long time. I mean, obviously we see people like this, but. Like um, I, you know, I stay in contact with people. I've seen a few friends. We've done some like socially distant. Um, one of my best friends I saw his new house and we stayed, you know, way away from each other and the house was wide open. There was nothing in the house. And we both kept wear more masks. Um, and I saw a girlfriend. We took a you know socially distant walk, but you know we didn't hug. And um, those are the only. Two. And I saw one other friend who I'm the godmother to her child, and and I actually didn't spend any time with her. I spent time with the son and my godson. And um, that's it. And my my son. I've seen my son and, and my teenage stepdaughter. So. You know, it's, it's, it's odd. I haven't seen any family members. We've done Zoom videos. I've seen friends from fifth grade on Zoom. You know, that stuff has been really amazing. Um, but I'm gonna drive next week to see my family in Oklahoma and I'm gonna do a test before I leave. Um, and then obviously when I'm on the road, we're gonna stay at a friend's house along the way that's gonna be vacant and empty and safe. And then I'll be able to see my 90 year old grandmother Probably not, I don't even know if I'll get to hug her, which is, I, if I think, if I start going down that road, I'm gonna, you'll get a tear this morning. Everybody who knows me knows I'm a crier. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's strange. It's strange to not be able to be intimate with people that you love and that you know really well. But you know, with, with uh, there, there's, a, there's a theory that, that people get more creative when they're the more restricted they are, the more creative they get. Yeah. And you know, one, one question that I've been asked is what have you, what have you learned to do during lockdown that you didn't do before? 
and obviously, you know, we see people baking bread and, and knitting and, and, you know, there's so much, there's a sort of handcraft thing, which I think is quite inspiring because it's, you know, entirely human activity. Um, what is, what, have you learned to do anything that, that you, you, you didn't, you weren't used to doing? Um, I don't, I didn't like suddenly learn a new language or, you know, write the a novel or something, but I, I mean, I've done some fun things with the kids. I've, you know, we, we cooked all sorts of things from scratch and like made dumplings with little faces and I've gotten some makeup that I hardly ever use because I'm, you know, go to work for and people do my makeup. So I don't usually do my makeup and my stepdaughter and I like did a full beat down of like, it was like, you know, contouring the whole, I don't even know what I'm doing. I was just following her and, and trying to imagine Pat McGrath and what she would do. And um, so we've been playing. I think that's one thing I, I've been playing. I played with my godson. We had water balloon fights. We painted our hair pink and purple. And um, I've always, I've always played, but I don't think I had time to play in the last, I don't know how many years. So I've been playing a lot, um, a lot of unlearning and education. I've been taking the time to learn new things and reading about things that I think um, are really pertinent right now. And, um, oh, I did learn, I did learn that, who knew? I didn't wear anything colorful today because I wasn't sure how it would come off on, on Zoom. But I've, I don't know what's come over me. I've started wearing weird socks and um, really colorful clothes. And normally I'm like black and white and maybe a pair of blue jeans. And I'm, I'm like letting my inner colorful rainbow out. And it's been really fun. Um, and I'm gardening. My, I can see out my window right now my big sunflower looking at me. So, you know, I think it's, for me, it's been a time of, of just turning down the volume, playing, sitting with what is, which has been really uncomfortable at times, and sometimes amazing. I've, I've had such fun too with my family. Um, and the uncertainty has forced us, I think, to get really present. And so it's been an exercise of all the things that I usually use to practice to stay a tune in life to just really be, which is really what it's about. Because you were saying that you were working, you, you, were, you were really striving to get that work-life balance uh, when mm -hmm. we spoke before, because you were busy. Yeah. You, were, you were in demand, you know, again, like, um, like, it was an interesting moment where the fashion industry was reconciling, it felt like the fashion industry was rec reconciling itself with a number of, of key issues like uh, racism, ageism, all sorts of different things. And, and you and a number of the women that you modeled with at the, you know, when you were in your peak of supermodeldom, were coming back, were being brought back to add authenticity. Obviously all of that has, um, temporarily gone on hold. Um, do you miss the work? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I miss everyone. I miss, I miss being that part of myself, which is 
creative and um, in some ways you're solving a, a problem or help serving a situation or um, bringing some sort of nuance to a situation in, in, in a photo. So yeah, I do miss those things. And I miss seeing everybody. I miss the connection um, to my fashion family. And at the same time, I think we have an amazing opportunity to restart and to begin again. But I would love to squeeze you and hug you. <laughs> oh, well, if you could see below that little yellow bar and that thing, I'm very squeezable. I mean, I mean, <laughs> but you know, the, 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 that's a weird thing. Everybody is in the same situation. It's not like you're stuck there and everybody else is having a good time. This is, I'm in the same situation as my 91 year old mum in New Zealand, you know, um, and there's never been a time like that. So um, it, it really has been. Um, I don't know if it's if it's a sense of community that you feel, or or whether it's isolation. Um, but I, I feel a strange peace, actually. I mean, that's good. Because even if even if there were there's nowhere I there's nowhere else like if there if there was somewhere else I wanted to be I couldn't be there. So it's it's a very it's been a very very surreal situation. I think. It is, it is. I find myself when I'm writing to people, you know, instead of saying what a difficult time or, you know, I'm saying what an interesting time. What an interesting time to be alive. What an opportunity to be alive. Like it's such a, it is so unique. And yet I hope I'm like with everyone, we don't want this to go on for years. Um, but it is an incredible opportunity to, to stop and really figure out where we wanna go from here. We can redesign a future, perhaps. I mean, people are starting to try to, you know, get back to normal. Um, but I think for a lot of us that feel the world needs to be elevated in a new way, I think feel that this is a, a great opportunity to pause and to, to shift. And, and it has leveled the playing field. None of us are working. And it does demand, you know, we do, I know, I remember when I had my son, I had that question of kind of who am I? Because you identify so much with one persona and one, your ego is so wrapped in this idea of who you are. And then you have a, a child and you can't work or you don't work, you choose not to work. Um, and, your identity shifts and there's this sort of like, that, that was for me part of the kind of the, um, the struggle of the postpartum was, was that kind of shifting of identities and realizing that, well, that all can be married. But, you know, I think there is that shift for a lot of people. People are slowing down. They're like, oh, wow, I'm not my job. I'm not, you know, this thing that I thought I was doing or being out in the world. And I think that's a now imagine that this imagine that this lasts a while though. Imagine that it isn't. Well, that's the other part, right? Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm imagine saying. That. Like it's a great opportunity right now, but is this something we want to live in permanently? No. I mean, I don't want to walk around thinking that my neighbors got cooties. You know, it's that's a horrible feeling to be in the grocery store and everybody's like, you know, don't touch me. Don't you know, did you see that movie Safe? 
with Julianne Moore? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You no, know, it's kind of like that, yeah. like living yeah. in this like sealed up, isolated, weird world. And I, I think that for humans, that's not a good thing either, you know, to have this kind of weird, creepy fear of each other. And remember that might've been in her head though. It what? Remember that might've been in her head in safe. It might've been, it might've been, mightn't have been a real thing. It might, it might just have been something that she had, you know, right. we, we were well, never really sure. We could go down that road too, you and I. <laughs> <laughs> now what, what, now what I, I'm thinking is that, you know, the notion of shrinking your world, mm -hmm. um, which isn't a bad thing because you shrink your world is something I guess that's real. And we were living in such, especially young people in fashion lived in such a unreal plateau of, um, you know, that whole, if it's Tuesday, it must be Tokyo syndrome, uh, which was a bit, which was, a, which was an illusion and which had to stop. I think it's funny that so much of the conversation in fashion over the last little while has been, this has to stop, this has to change. But you know, with nobody ever actually anticipating that it, it, that it would stop and it would change. Mm -hmm. um, and when you talk about an opportunity, the opportunity now, I mean, the opportunity is what? What do you see the opportunity being? I mean, the opportunity is, is I think we could retool the entire industry in fashion, really. I mean, it's, it takes a lot of work. It's, there's a lot of complex issues. But if we really want to have an industry that can survive a time like this, because we will have more times like this if the climate, we keep messing around with climate change and we're not actually doing something about climate change um, and encroaching on, on ecosystems that we shouldn't be in. Um, we're gonna have more pandemics. We're gonna have more um, natural disasters that are gonna be catastrophic. So our business needs to be um, resilient. And I think that's the future we wanna build is a resilient industry, which means we have to really stop doing business as normal, because normal is archaic now. We're in the 21st century, we should have a supply chain that is really fair and equitable. You can't post Black Lives Matter and then not pay your garment workers that are brown and indigenous people or black people in Haiti. You just can't do that. <laughs> you don't get to have both. You don't get to say we care and then not pay people right now during COVID. So that that is and and for work that's already been been done by the way there's a lot of garment workers who are not getting paid and they're you know they're they're very um they're at the beginning of the supply chain you know so them and farmers and we have to start thinking about those people that are actually really the the beginnings of the creation of these clothing before the designers make this amazing piece those are the people who put the blood sweat and tears and i think that for one has to change that part of the supply chain. So it needs to become more transparent um, and equitable and fair. And we're talking about millions of women all over the world, mostly. So you still, you still envisage, I mean, you are envisaging there that there is a role for fashion to play in this new world. That Absolutely, we are obliged to. Everyone gets dressed, not everyone, 
you know, drives a car. So we're not in the automobile industry, we're in the fashion industry. And there's a reason why people are saying fashion for good or fashion for change or wearing your values or, you know, sustainable style, you know, style. And, you know, you and I've had this conversation many times and I think it's, we, we have a moral obligation. I mean, I hate to say that, but we do. We have the most amazing opportunity to be creative and innovative. We can create new industry through so much innovation, whether it's on the tech side to the material side, farming, um, energy, conservation, then you go all the way to design, and then also this, uh, discarding clothing is a whole nother industry that's hardly been tapped, where we could become circular and just keep all of these materials in one, um, in, in one system rather than extrapolating new materials. So there's like endless possibilities. We could become one of the most power, we already are one of the most powerful industries. We could become one of the most revolutionary and like real change agents. And I think to, to miss that opportunity, because we don't have regulations like the automobile industry does. That's why you still have, you had 16 year olds who were going to work and staying up till three in the morning, not getting fed. You know, we, we have the power because we don't have a ton of bureaucracy. The bureaucracy is really us. <laughs> so as much as I put the responsibility on us in the industry, I also put it on consumers to wake up to their power. But I do envision a great industry that's colorful and powerful and bright and sustainable and innovative and um, equitable and fair and resilient. You see, I, we, we, we have talked about sustainability a lot, but then what's, what's happened, you know, with this crisis is something as kind of fundamental as the sea has been, this, the oceans have been choked with disposable plastic gloves and, 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 masks. You know, masks and masks and, you know, you just, this constant kind of ebb and flow between human need and a, the bigger picture, you know, we, where we have sort of very selfishly lodged ourselves at the top of the pyramid. And so everything we do has a much greater consequence than anything else that happens. And that's, that troubles me. That, that's why the, the, the notion of, um, not going back because we can't go back, even though obviously it looks like we are. I've got hair coming off my glasses. Um, the, um, the, the notion of going forward in some way, but in a way which is, which places us in the world, yeah. you know, which doesn't put us on this, on this pedestal where we just use and abuse and discard and go on in this cycle. Um, it felt when we were talking last time that um, you know there was there was optimism. There was reason to reason to be optimistic because there was a consciousness that was mm -hmm. evolving in the fashion industry in in a sort of substantial enough way that you could almost see that a critical mass might happen at some point. And then this happens, and you know it obliterates so much. And I, we're not even back at square one. I don't know what square we're on, but yeah. I mean, how, how do you stay optimistic um, looking at moving forward? 
because you are you are an, you are an activist in this area. So, how do you um how how is your activism engaged at the moment when there are other concerns that seem more fundamental in a way? I you know I, I have done a lot of petitioning. I've done a lot of phone calling. I've done um, I've been doing you know, these sorts of conversations or having these sorts of conversations um, with thought leaders. I've been listening a lot. I think this is a time to listen. Um, I'm staying optimistic because I believe that we, people are going to need a place to dream and people will need to go back to work and you know, that's the only way I can see it going forward is this way. I can't I can't imagine it being the, the same as before, Tim. I just, I don't want to work in that. Um, I don't want to work in an industry that is the same as before. Um, how boring. Anyway, right? Fashion is always about change and innovation. So, um, and I think that I have an internal belief that no matter what happens, it will all be as it's supposed to be. Whether that means we make it through or not, I don't know. But I just, I believe there's something greater at play and I can't, I can only move in the direction that I'm moving in, which I believe is, is that we have to, we have to uplift the consciousness around us. We have to change the way we're doing things. As you said, we have to stop putting ourselves at the top of the pyramid and uh, play as a team. And um, that profit can't be the sole motivation, that people and planet have to be our motivation first and, and then profit, because we don't really have anywhere to play if we've screwed everything up. So. But I see so, I've heard so many conversations and I've been seeing things on the internet and on the news, not so much, but um, through social media and I've, I've seen so many people doing so much right now. Mm. And I think that is what keeps me buoyed here right now instead of like sinking into like some sort of pessimistic place. But I just have to, you know, that's the faith I have to have. I have to, I, I do really believe in, in the people that I'm listening to and, um, and see that people are really fighting for something good right now on many fronts. Who's the person who's been most inspiring for you? Is there any single voice you've heard that really gives you hope? Um, there's a, there's a, a person from the Black Lives Matter movement and one of the organizers, um, Jay, um, I think I'm gonna say, her, say their name right, uh, Janaya, the future, and, um, and Patrice Kohler. Those two individuals are, um, I'm, I hear them, they're, they're, they're thoughtful, they're insightful, they're um, very clear and, and there's powerful leadership. I, I, there's, there's some amazing people doing amazing things right now. 
so many young people are changing the conversation and fighting for whether it's the environment or uh, people of color. I think there's going to be another we're going to see another wave of of civil civil rights uh, playing out here in the United States because there's so much injustice and discrimination. Um, so I'm just, I'm, I'm moved by so many people that I'm listening to. There's old, el, you know, many of the elders that are speaking out right now. And, you know, even just listening to somebody like Jane Fonda talk about the environment. I have to believe that there's, um, that there's going to be a better outcome. I think that um, uh, what, 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 what has been so interesting is is that um, when we talked before, we were talking. It was a time when Greta Thunberg was was really, really in the news, and and that sort of galvanizing um, the voice of young people all around, the voices of young people all around the world, and the way that that has shifted, the way that has shifted into uh, a sort of fire activism, you know, mm -hmm. something that is. That is, at the time we said that the reason why those kids were so passionate is because really they had nothing to lose um, and everything to gain. Yeah. And now I think that's even more intense, that, that, that sense of, if there was a sense of urgency there, and this is where I see hope, um, that the sense of urgency now is so much more uh, acute than it yes. was six months ago. Yes. And, um, you know, there, there's there's hope in that because change is change is going to be incredibly painful and difficult for really a lot of people. Yeah. But there's no cho there's no there's no uh, alternative. No, that's why I don't. I don't know why we were fighting it to try to get back to normal. You know, it's like what was normal? How many people were really happy and normal? And how many? I mean, yes, there's been, a t you know, so many lives lost across the world. And I don't want to underplay that um, or, or understate that because there's so many people who've lost someone right now. But there has been so much happening and so many lives lost over the years due to so many of these injustices that we are finally looking at today that I think... Um, going back to normal just doesn't, doesn't make any sense. We have an opportunity to, to change. Maybe, yeah, maybe life is a little bit smaller for all of us, but what's wrong with that? Well, I think inequality, one thing that's really, really become glaring is the insane inequality in the world. Um, oh. You know, look who's, billionaires have done extremely well out of this crisis. And uh, I, in, in, in the interests of, of finding a balance in the world, creating a balance which is equitable for everybody, I do not know how that situation can be, can be reconciled. I just feel, I don't know how you feel living in America, but here, um, <laughs> it, it, it just seems that, um, a sense of shame, which used to be quite a powerful sense. You could shame people, you know, you could shame people into behaving 
properly, properly. It doesn't seem to exist anymore. Uh, that seems to have been removed from, I mean, I know there's cancel culture, but, but shame, anyone admitting their, their, uh, anyone admitting why their responsibility for the way things are just doesn't exist anymore. I mean, I find that absolutely shocking. But at the same time, like we said, that these, there's these kids who are so um, empowered and there's also, I think, the actual notion of people power, that we've seen it in our neighborhoods, we've seen everyone helping each other and up to a point. Um, I think we've reached the point where people aren't helping each other quite as much anymore, but I don't know. Um, with your work, how are you taking that forward with the work that you were doing? I mean, like the, 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 work, the, work, with, the work for, um, for climate change, the work for sustainability, um, is that all on hold or do you find that people are actually moving forward with it in a, in sort of, in, in a way that's as meaningful as it was when we, were talk, we talked last time? I mean, it's... I think it's hard when you're not able to be out in the world. So we're all doing a lot of talking and dialoguing. Um, and people are, you know, just slowly starting to get back to work in some places. So it is, um, it's challenging. I'm, I'm working on, um, right now I'm working on, um, with a group called one-to-ones with the UN and, Swarovski and it's sort of a, it's not really a challenge. It's, it's meeting science and fashion together to achieve, um, they're, they're taking a few of the UN um, sustainability um, propositions and there's 13 of them, I think. And they have to meet like one or two of the criteria. And it, it's been, in, very interesting and um, powerful to hear like science coming together and, and um, some technology in there meeting with a designer and seeing that people are still, even though they can't actually achieve what they might've been able to do six months ago because the world was open and you know somebody could actually scale something a bit more, they're finding creative ways around it. And um, so, still having those conversations and still finding ways to be creative. I mean, that is what you said before. People are finding ways to be creative and to have photo shoots at home or to solve these big problems that we, we maybe had better access to things six months ago. But, you know, you st we still have to try to solve these issues. And so, you know, we're having Fire Drill Fridays online. Mm for Jane and Greenpeace. And um, they're just doing, you know, tons of Zooms, tons of chats. I mean, because people are listening more maybe at home, it is an opportunity to reach more people maybe than us protesting downtown in LA in, you know, in front of the mayor's office about climate change. Maybe we're getting more ears this way through through people sitting and listening at home. I don't know. 
but I know that none of the activism has really stopped. Um, I've, I have just spent my time, like I said, being of service when people ask me and um, jumping on these sort of webinars and, and talking on panels, you know, doing stuff for British Vogue, for my editorship, for the contributing editorship. So I'm, I'm still doing things, but it, of course it, you know, everything has sort of shifted. Things that I thought I was gonna do that were more expansive are, have shrunk. <laughs> you, you get the sense that, you know, in the, if you look at history, um, you know, after the Black Death, there was the Renaissance. After World War I, there was the 20s. After World War II, there was the 50s. And the 50s were a very creative time in movies and art. Um, do people talk about there being a similar sort of creative renaissance after this moment? Do, do, you, do you imagine that, well, maybe even now there are, there are people finding ways to make art out of catastrophe, you know, to be inspired to elevate our better instincts or whatever? I'm curious, what have you discovered? Because I haven't, most of my conversations aren't necessarily with creatives. They're more academics or scientists or maybe one designer working, you know, I'm not, I'm not having those conversations, but certainly what I've seen on the internet, there's a lot of, you know, on Instagram, people are being very creative. I think in fashion, people, are, uh, there, there are certain kind of material challenges that, yes. that, 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 that take people in the moment and they're not, um, you know, how do I keep my business going? And so yes. they're not actually thinking about a new renaissance. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, one thing that I was curious about is I love, I loved punk. I mean, those years of punk in London were some of my favorite years in my life. And it was such a reaction to a very, very bad, difficult social, economic time, punk came along as a total gut response. And I, I guess I was kind of hoping that there, we would see something similar, um, but you know, maybe people don't necessarily express themselves in that way um, anymore. Maybe people are expressing themselves through, you know, maybe Animal Crossing will suddenly become like this, uh, <laughs> this kind of cry of, of rage or something that, that there'll be other ways, but I'm kind of hoping for a new punk to be, to be honest. I think something will come of it. I just don't know what, and I, I don't know if we've even hit it yet because we really haven't been here that long. In yeah, our, so true. In our kind of, for us, this is so, you know, this seems so long and, and really, you know, things like the Dust Bowl, they were years, or wars like World War One. How long did World War World War One go? Well, four years, but a bit of a lead up, and then there was a pandemic right. after World War One to kind of stretch out the kind of yeah right. the, the so, deprivation. We 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 are what four months in? Well, six. I don't know when you when. I first, I guess I first heard about it in... Locked down then. Yeah, I was first heard about it. I was first aware of it in New York, maybe in February. So really intensely. So I think we have yet to see perhaps what's going to come from this. Because like you said, it is painful that there's, 
this is uncomfortable. Nobody is used to this. And, and I think it is uncomfortable. And from that comes growth and maybe some sort of interesting new wave of punk or um, certainly there's a, I feel, I do feel an undercurrent. I don't know if you feel it there, but for sure here, there's, there's a sense of rebellion going on. There is a mm -hmm. sense of right here. And I don't know, I know some of it is probably due to the election and, and obviously George Floyd getting murdered here. There is, there's an upswell and we've had a lot of trans women being murdered. I mean, there's a lot, there's an upswell of, of people saying enough is enough. Um, you know, there's still children in cages here and Trump keeps trying to, you know, reverse all of these environmental laws. I mean, you know, people, it's like, there's a lot of, of kind of opposition. So I do think there will be something that comes of all of this and, and it, it'll play itself out in fashion. It always does. Well, there's monstrous polarization and I don't really see how you build a bridge between those opposing forces because right now, yeah. It's especially in America, but all around the world, America has set this strange tone. Yeah. Um, you see these schisms in society opening up, um, not between income brackets and generations and races. And uh, you, you honestly do not see what will, you know, people used to say, we would unite in the face of an alien invasion. Well, I mean, if you think of COVID as an alien invasion, which really blanketed the entire world, we haven't actually come together. In fact, it might have driven, might have, where there were cracks, it might have driven them further apart. So that's been a rather unedifying lesson to be confronted with on a daily basis. Um, I don't, I just don't, I, and then where fashion fits into that, obviously, is a whole other, you know, the, the extremes in fashion. Are we going to see restraint? Or are we going to see excess? What are people going to want? Are people going to want anything? Are people going to be relatively, are people just going to be internalizing? And, and um, I don't know, I guess here they're trying to get them to go to the pub, but it's not really working. <laughs> I do really hope that, you know, the big players take the opportunity to change the tone in a positive way. I really don't want to see the fashion calendar look like it did before. And Have you seen the digital fashion calendar? No, I haven't. Tell me, what's that? What's the I digital? Quite well, you know, because right now we're looking at Paris men's couture and Paris menswear. Right. A pretty packed calendar. But so it's all online. Admittedly, it's digital, so it's videos and things. But you, I, don't get, you, I don't get the sense that people are pulling back from the old routine. I mean, they might, they might be doing it in a digital way, but I don't get the sense that there's... You know, one, one point that was being made is that there was too much of everything. There was just too much fashion. There were too much, clo there were too much clothes, too many shows. Um, you know, it, it was just spinning like a top. It was like an en perfect entropy. It was moving faster and faster that, to the point where it was just standing absolutely still. So that was one thing that I was thinking after this, that there will be some kind of rationalization. But so far, I'm not, I'm not necessarily 
getting that. That feels it feels to me like the schedule, the digital schedule is pretty packed and um, everybody's talking about September up and running again with physical shows. Um, I don't see that that how that's how they're gonna do physical hope springs eternal i guess i really don't understand i mean i love the idea of it but you know why aren't we slowing down the calendar and making it make sense for even the buyer like for us consumers you know Mm. i want to buy a t-shirt when it's actually summary or spring i I don't think that might happen i think that might be one thing that does happen that reason might assert itself to the point where actually you'll be able to go to a store in the middle of winter and buy a winter coat instead of being confronted by a rack of bikinis yeah i think that that might i think that might happen i have i i i hope that that will be one good thing that comes out of this that that part of the calendar might be rationalized but the the rest of it you know i love the idea of small is beautiful i love the idea of people having a real business where they make clothes they they know who they're making their clothes for. Maybe they even have a direct relationship with them. They don't have to reduce the price to sell them to these people. These people come to them because they know what they're going to get. You know, for for years and years, I've been talking about a return to the days of the dressmaker, the tailor and the cobbler, you know, and you'll be in Santa Monica or wherever you're, you know, you're in, you're in Santa Monica, you're in, yeah, yeah, close, close. (laughs) So there'll be a, (laughs) <laughs> He'll be a cobbler and a dressmaker and a, you know, old ways, but, but in a new, in a new setting and a kind of a, this is a, anyway, that's my strange Pinocchio-like um, vision of uh, the distant future. I mean, you know, I wouldn't be mad about having, you know, John Galliano make me uh, an outfit just for myself. <laughs> You'd be perfect, actually, in a little. But actually, he's. He's resilient and he's very clever and magical. And I know he could make something so out of anything, you know, literally anything. Okay. Speaking of that, when you look back, when you do look back and we're all looking forward, I know, but when you look back, because you have to, you have a lot to look back at, what do you, what, what are your feelings now about those, those years, um, the, the nineties and the early noughties? I like the Nazis. Um, I had the best time. I had, you know, I was blessed to live in, I think, probably the most spectacular time in fashion, the most creative. Um, We had, you know, so much freedom. And there was no, there were very little restraints, I would say. And there were no corporations you know, holding all of these major fashion houses, they were owned by individuals or families or, you know, a small investment group. And they were um, able to really kind of breathe. And oh, I'm so sorry, my dog is hitting the door to go to the restroom, much more important than my opinion. One second. (laughs) Sorry, Tim. What is he? Um, she's an old Doberman and she oh. goes to the door in the glass and she hits it to tell you I need to go out and, and yeah. she, she doesn't make a lot of movement. So, you know, you have to listen. Um, um, and every, the crews were smaller, everything was smaller, more intimate. There was an intimacy and a, 
um, excitement that we don't have today. You didn't put things on, in, there was no Instagram. We didn't yeah, sell yeah. No social media, no mobile phones. There was anticipation of the next season, you know, who was going to shoot the campaign? What was that spectacular last look? I mean, what fabric did so-and-so use? There was an excitement and um, a discovery of everything that was coming at you was a discovery rather than, you know, um, today it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Like, don't like, eh, eh. and it's, it's, to me, it's, it's dumbed down what we are doing. And I don't think there's anything dumb about what we do in fashion. I think it's an extraordinary business. Uh, so many people put um, creative intelligence into what they do. And so I, I miss those days. We had a lot of fun, but um, I'm so grateful I lived them. And you know, some of the, the, mo the masters were still alive. Some of the greatest fashion designers that ever lived, stylists, photographers, hair and makeup. You know, we've lost a lot of people and I was fortunate enough to work with many of them. So, you know, I learned so much in those days and it was a gift. Did I you met when I was like, what, 18, 17, 18? 18? 17, 17, straight out of Oklahoma. I mean, with the accent and all. <laughs> Y'all, I still had that accent. <laughs> Did you keep scrapbooks? No, I don't have any scrapbooks, but I have a like I have some boxes of of pictures, and I'm I'm working on something. I don't want to get you know say too much because I don't have like a uh, anything a date or I, I'm anyway. I'm working on something reflective, but um, we can talk about that another time. But. I do have things. I have some one-of-a-kind prints. I have things, you know, Avedon gave me some, uh, like a contact sheet he had cut up that's like, who has things like that? So, um, who saw you the way you wanted, to, who saw the way you, who saw you the way that you liked being seen best? I can't really say one person because I think, I've never wanted to be seen one way. I never liked, I don't like stereotypes. I can't stand labels. It drives me insane. She's this girl, she's that. I don't, I never liked it about myself. And though I'm sure I pl place labels on people myself, it's something I work really hard. I can't, I don't like it when I do it, when I see someone and I'm like, you know, I, I don't like it at all. And I think I've strived really hard for my own um, uh, career and agency to be as, as free from that as possible. And so there's some people that I love to work with because I trust them implicitly. Um, and I do love the way they see me, but I like to see myself in many different ways. I don't wanna see myself in one way. I'd like to see different parts. Well, who saw you the way that you never imagined you could be seen then? Is that a different question? I mean, you were so different with everybody that you worked with. It was kind of, you could be Francis Farmer for somebody and Greta Garbo for somebody else. And, you know, it was kind of extraordinary. Yeah. I always saw movie stars, actually. I'm I, 
you know, there's, I mean, for sure, Peter and I had a spectacular creative yeah. relationship. Yeah. And Peter Lindbergh. Lindberg. Um, and Stephen Mizell, I think, probably gave me the widest um, opportunity to see different parts of myself in imagery um, and create different characters. Craig McDean as well. Um, and um, working with Richard Avedon was such a, a gift. I only got to work with him a few times, but the one time with Versace, having that week with him alone was like, because he was really into photographing you as a person, not the fashion. So it was an opportunity because I'd seen his work, I'd seen his portraits and stuff, and I'd seen that he loved the mania, he loved all sorts of, you know, wild joy and, and intensity. And it was so fun to be able to have that um, seen as a, as a part of myself too, that wasn't so much a model, it was more of a study of, of expression and, and insight for myself. So I don't know, there's so many people, I mean, I, I, I could go on and on and on, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, Inez and Venude have, you know, shot these sweet and sexy, um, and I'm trying to think, I mean, I, I could just start listing names out, but I, I think it'll be obnoxious, but you know, those are my long collaborators. I think those are my, my deep relationships. And when you were actually doing shows, is, was there, were there any particular moments? I, I, I love John's shows more than ever now when I look back and I just think about what, what an incredible circus they were. Um, but do you have, at the same time, I look at a show by Helmut Lang or Mutual Prada and they're just, a, you know, you've got rigor on one side and total excess and extravagance on the other. And they all just, they're art. Now you look back on them and they just like works of art, those things. And at the time you just sat, you know, sat in the show, 11 o'clock, you're at this show, 12 o'clock, you're at that show, you're one o'clock, another show, and all day long you're at shows. And you sit back now and you think, God, what an incredible time. I mean, without sounding like I'm embedded in the past, but wow, it was an amazing moment. It I mean, was. Do you remember anything in particular as being like where you'd go in your time machine? Certainly some Versace shows were, oh. were, cause they're like power moments. And I love Donatella and I, I love Johnny. He was, he was like, you know, father figure when he came and, you know, everybody kind of got to, you know, everybody straightened up. Um, and those shows were like, you know, you felt like a woman, like a sexy woman and, and powerful. And, um, you know, Mutual was poetic. It was an, there was an austerity to Prada and a poetry. And um, John was like, wow you, you couldn't even believe this the the clothing that you were wearing and the ambiance he created and john galliano and um the stories that you were being told to to kind of emulate and portray 
Um, and then, you know, just working with characters like Carl Lagerfeld. I mean, I remember thinking he was like a magician. He was so like otherworldly to me. And there's, there was, Helmut Lang was amazing. We used to do those shows in New York and I remember. Yeah, yeah incredible. Um, and Tom um, Ford turned you into Sharon Tate, which is another, another amazing moment. What an incredible moment. Or I, I was blessed, I got to work with, um, I did Comme des Garcons and Yoji Yamamoto and those shows were incredible. They were so beautiful and so, you know, another level in fashion. So, you know, everything in Calvin, I worked with Calvin and Calvin was still designing at Calvin Klein. And, you know, it's, I think if we slowed down maybe today and that take what we've learned today, you know, from this pandemic, that perhaps, like you said, you, you haven't even been able to digest. When you're in it, you can't digest it because it's moving too fast. But if we slowed it down, I wonder if we could digest it better and, and hold it more and give it more value. And that maybe today would feel as creative and as important if we slowed it down and not posted it right away on the internet, you know, on Instagram. Yeah. I yeah. keep saying internet. I'm like, you can clearly tell I am not a millennial or, or a Gen Z. I'm like, the internet. It's like I'm, way ahead, of you. I'm way ahead of you. I'm amazed I can even get on Zoom sometimes. Listen. Well, Amber, um, it's been wonderful talking to you. And um, I hope that everything that we just talked about is part of this project that you mysteriously alluded to. But um, that would be... That would be wonderful because I think that everything you were informs everything you are, you know. And I and I think it's. it's I don't know. I, was a little, I, I I don't know. Wild child, maybe that did inform some today. I learned. Oh, yeah. mm? You learned. I learned. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's all you can hope for in life to learn to learn and to grow. It's true. It's true. I and hope I love so. you. I hope we grow from this, right? Yeah. yeah. We're growing our hair, that's certain. Well, it's kind of stop. We don't have a beard at least today. <laughs> I, oh, I, I, I shaved mine off. You did? Um, yeah, so we'll see each other. Um, I just, all, what can we say? We'll see each other on the other side. Well, and, and you know, we should FaceTime each other just for fun. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's. All right, I love you, Tim. Love you. Talk to you soon. Bye, Thanks. thank you so much. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, give us a rating, and you might be interested in joining the Business of Fashion's global membership community, BOF Professional. Our members receive exclusive deep dive analysis, regular email briefings, as well as unlimited access to our archive of over 10,000 articles, our new iPhone app, and all of the online courses and learning materials from BOF Education.